Uh, Father, we come before you as always giving thanks for all things. We give you thanks that there is air conditioning and heating and that we have a room with walls and a roof that right now doesn't leak. Uh, You give us what we need to survive and you also bless us with more than we need. And we ask that you would do that concerning your word, that you would give us more than what we need, not just enough to subsist on, but enough to mature us, enough to make us able to give a reason for the hope that lies within. We thank you for the example of the Israelites, both for their failures and successes. And may we avoid the first and cling to the latter. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 35. We've dealt with the Sabbath and part of the sacrifice. We got into the sacrifice this last week, dealing with what the people were called upon to give. And the Lord said, everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord, in verse 5, an offering of gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and goat hair, and ramskin dyed red, and hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and other gems, to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. And so this idea that we went through was the idea of tithing. And I explained what the tithe was in the Old Testament. It was actually 23 and a third percent. It was not 10 percent except in the case of Abraham. And in the case of Jacob, they gave 10 percent. But under the law, it was 23 and a third. And from that, by extension, we put it into the New Testament time and ultimately to us, we are to give willingly and according to our ability. We should never give or it Giving should never be done in order to get something from God. We don't want to bargain. Our giving should be directed towards God. That's actually bringing it into the storehouse or the church. And our giving should be directed towards men. Not just the church. Are they responsible? Any church. But it's our responsibility as individuals. If we see somebody who is genuinely in need, we're supposed to help them out. And we're not supposed to look at it as a loan Now, you can set up a loan if you want to, but if you want to be blessed by God, when we give to somebody, we're to consider it just taking flight, that we're never going to see it again, especially if they're in, you know, they're not able to take care of themselves in some way. We should never give under compulsion. Any pastor, any ministry that lays a guilt trip on you to give, uh, they are doing so for their own gain and they will surely have the reward in this life and we should never or we should always give generously Uh, we should never be greedy remember greed is on the same level as sexual immorality and murder as far as participating in those things if we are greedy it says do not be deceived first corinthians 6 9 that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of god so we do not want to be greedy we also want to give sacrificially we don't want to be giving out of our abundance where it doesn't affect us god wants us to give in such a way where it actually costs us something that we cannot do something or we cannot buy something as a result of our giving when we budget things out it's like we give it up and that's the sacrifice that god requires of us and i'm not just talking about me i'm talking about 
or just you, I'm talking about me as well. And we're to give systematically. That means on a regular basis, we divvy it out. We all have bills. The church has bills. And those who we help uh, have bills. We may have family members, that type of thing, that need help. And we should assist in that. When we give to the Lord, he credits our account in heaven. And what that means is we will be rewarded when we get there. Uh, When we give, it is a pleasing thing to God, especially if we do so according to the first nine things that I have uh, given to you from Scripture. And as we give, we need to trust in the Lord's provision. Uh, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, as it says in his word. The Lord will put us to the test. He wants us. our, Our whole Christian walk is used to build our faith to build our trust in God. And if we're not trusting in God in this area, you know, he's going to test us even more. He's going to have the well dry up, so to speak. So we have to turn to him and say, I'm going to trust you in this. And the the more he wants to build your faith, the greater the trial is going to be. You know, it's just awesome how God can work like that. And maybe there's personal testimonies that you would have how... You did not have anything. You didn't know where the money was going to come from. You asked for God's provision, and then he provided. But then there are times also that he doesn't provide. And you go, what's up with that? Do I not have enough faith? And it's all working out, Romans 8.28. It all works out for our benefit. So these things are good to remember, good to hold on to. And it's what Scripture is declaring we're supposed to do on our end for God. But I'm going to change that a little towards the end of the message. Now, with this, inevitably, questions come up. Questions over the years that I've heard, studies that I've been in, people I've listened to preach on this. Do I give off the gross or off the net? Do I look at the total amount on the paycheck? Because, you know, when you first start working and you get that paycheck, you think you made so much money, and then you see everything that is taken out, the FICA, the SDI, the FUI, the whoever, what else is on there. It just gets deducted from your paycheck. And by the way, when that happens, being a former employer, when that takes place, you don't see what the boss is paying for you as well. He has to match your FICA. There are insurances that have to be paid by that boss. And a lot of people erroneously think that the boss is just rolling in money. And normally, unless you're a Fortune 500 company, you are just praying that you can make payroll by the next weekend that people don't have to go and cast their checks the following week. And that's just the nature of business. That's how it works. And so everybody is struggling from one degree or the other. And you, you ask yourself, well, I could, I could use this money for myself, but should I? Should I be giving this? Should I hold on to it? Remember, it's 100% God's. And whatever he tells us to do with it, we're supposed to do with it. It's not that 10% is God and I get 90. That's not how it works in the New Testament. Neither in the Old Testament. It wasn't that way either. But that's how they sanctioned it off or sectioned it off in their mind. So do you pay off the gross or off the net? Now I'm going to tell you what my first real pastor, actually my second real pastor, Mike McIntosh, said. He said, what do you want God, God to bless? Do you want him to bless your gross or do you want him to bless your net? You choose. It's your choice. Anybody who comes along and says, obviously, it's off the gross. Well, they're just lying to you. That doesn't say that in Scripture. Remember, this is according to what you or I are willing to do. It has to originate with us. Then some people will say, well, you know, what if I have an elderly parent or somebody who is infirmed? 
and I want to give something to the church. But I have to take care of my parent. Scripture is clear on that. We are supposed to take care of our parents, family members. If somebody is truly in need, there are medical bills, and you've got to pay for things, just take care of your family. That is actually putting our religion into practice. And the Lord does not despise that at all. Matter of fact, I think he will bless us for doing such a thing. There is scripture on that. For instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all, it's first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. So just as parents, we take care of our children, the children, as the parents get older, are supposed to take care of their parents. It's, it's the exact same way to honor God. And there are other scriptures dealing with that, but I don't want to stay on this too long. And then another question is, should I start with 10%? I don't know if I said this last week or not, but, you know, if, if somebody wants to start somewhere, I would say start with 10%. Anything above that, you're going to be abundantly blessed. And remember, it's when we get to heaven, do we want our, and I'm going to speak metaphorically, do we want our pile of riches to be big? Do we want it to be small? Do we want it to be, okay, I can live with that. I can do that. You know, it's it's up to you again. Decide what you want to do. And if it's less, well, it's less. If it's more, Well, it's more. Just ask God. Now, people aren't in the habit of doing that. You'd be surprised how many times people have come up to me or come up to elders and they said, what should I do? And not just with tithing, but with anything in life. What should I do with this? And it's usually not up to the pastor or the elder or the deacon to tell you what to do. You're the one or I'm the one that's supposed to be seeking after God and asking God, what am I supposed to do? Then comes this whole question. Well, how do I hear the voice of God? Well, how do I know what his will is? First, is there anything in scripture that would dictate where you're supposed to go? Secondly, Scripture says that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you and he will guide you and you will just know. It's kind of like a mother with a baby. Not so much the first one, but definitely the second one. It's almost like instinct. They know exactly what to do for the baby to help the baby out. They know when the baby is going to be difficult and they pick up the baby. They pat the baby. They give the baby just what it needs. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's not so tough, but it's almost like instinctual. And the Lord will come along, and if we have a good walk with the Lord, you'll just kind of know you'll be led by the Spirit. You'll be able to hear His voice. You'll move according to His will. And so when it comes to how much to give, when to give, should I start with 10%, should I not start with 10%, should it be more, should it be less, the Lord knows all of those things. Now, there's another question that comes up. If I buy something from the church, can I just deduct it from my tithe? Now, this can be a a common one, Um, and there's a couple of ways to look at this. Number one, if you want to get something for the church and you see it as a need and you just want to do it, praise the Lord. That's wonderful. But if you do it and you deduct it from your tithe, are you directing the affairs of the church? 
You see how this works is, well, I see a need and I want this need met, right? Uh, for instance, if, if there was, uh, when we were at the last place, years ago, when we were over there, I have this, uh, my cousin has this son. I guess that would be a second cousin. And he was getting married and they wanted me to do the wedding. And it was in July or August and it was sweltering. I mean, outside it must have been 105. And family was there. My family was there. Their family was there. And we had an air conditioning unit and it went out. And it, inside the sanctuary, it must have been in the 90s, the mid-90s. I mean, it was, it was just miserable over there. And it happened to go out that day. It had worked the previous week, but it went out that day. And somebody says, well, you know what? I, if, say it went out on Friday. And they said, well, you know what? I'm just going to buy an air conditioner, which we need an air conditioner, right? But what if we didn't have enough to pay the mortgage? The air conditioner is a mute point. It doesn't matter if you have an air conditioner. If you can't pay the mortgage or the rent over there, it was rent. And so if you said, well, I'm going to buy this for the church, wonderful, but we can't stay here anymore because we don't have any money. Wouldn't it be better for the church to decide and let the people suffer a little bit, pass out fans, make fans, do whatever you have to do? You see what I mean is somebody will come along and they'll say, I need to buy this for the church. This is a need rather than saying, I'm going to let the Lord take care of this. And if you want to buy something for the church on top of that, it's an offering, it's not something we deduct. Now, I do this, I tell you this by experience. That, you know, I used to do this too, and I, I can still do that now because I'm more intimately involved in the church. I kind of know where the direction is, if we have money, if we don't have money. Not that my hands are on the checkbook or anything like that. I just know what's going on. But when it comes to the affairs of the church, we want to make sure that we're just not buying something. And I'm saying something that costs a little more and, and saying, well, I'm going to deduct that from my tithe. Now, if you want to give that as an offering, that's great. But it's something that we need to practice regularly. And again, I need to stress this. I'm not preaching at you. I'm letting the word preach to all of us. I'm included in this as well. I am not separate from this. And so when it comes to these things, we want to make sure that we are giving to the church primarily and that anything else the Lord considers an offering. And he calls us to do both. Now, going on with this. Now, I'm going to bring this up as a um, personal experience. My brother, he is now serving as an elder in a church up in the, the Mira Mesa area. Uh, do you guys know who Barry Menko was? He was a guy. You know who Barry Menko was? His what? No, he's not a carpet guy. He has another... Do you know who he is? Yes. So one person knows who he is. He was a pastor that he controlled the money in the church. And this is the church my brother went to and they found out about it. Uh, the guy's in prison now. But uh, he, wa- he had like 10 different accounts. And he would take the church money and he'd put it in these individual accounts. And he'd use it for his own personal benefit. And it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this, and his whole ministry was built on, he was a reformed prisoner, a reformed felon. And he did this again. And they, they 
put him in jail, you know, and it was just, it was a mess over there, you know, just bilking people for their money. And, and my brother, before he was in that, he was in a church that I wouldn't even call a church. He was with a guy that we mutually knew and we were at Calvary Chapel, San Diego, way back in 1920. We were back there in Calvary Chapel, San Diego, and we had this mutual friend and he decided he was going to start a church. And then he decided that, well, he didn't have to go through the state of California to be married because God's law is higher than man's law. So they just had a common law marriage and he was kind of pastoring this home church. And then they weren't supposed, they felt they weren't supposed to give to the church, their little church there, that they were just to give to people around them, that they were just to give money to whomever. And some people have that attitude of, well, you know, the organized church, it's corrupt. I'm sorry, it's God's church. And there's problems with God's church. But God said he's going to build his church. And what church on this earth doesn't have problems? It's operated in this life by men that are supposed to be listening to God, but men don't always hear God correctly. And so they go astray. And that's why you need other men to keep you accountable in what you're supposed to do. And so scripture clearly says that you're supposed to give to the needs in the church so the church can be raised up and used and train people, raise up disciples, that type of thing, send people out, go on missionary adventures, all of that stuff. But if you're just given to individuals, none of that can take place unless you do it yourself personally. But the God, the God meant for the body to be together. In Corinthians, he talks about the body having several parts, the hands, the elbows, the eyes, all of these things, the feet. And it's supposed to work together. Can you, you guys remember the um, Adam's family? There was a hand. Remember that hand? It operated all by itself. There was nothing controlling it, but it was just the hand. That was, that was, is what it would be like if somebody in the church said, well, I'm just going to do what I want to in the church. There's just a hand bopping up. Unless you know sign language, you're not going to be able to communicate with a hand, right? There's going to be difficulty in that area. That's why the body is fitly joined together. Every person is supposed to do their part. Now, if one person doesn't do their part, Another example here. I just saw this uh, yesterday. A woman was in an automobile accident and a man was speeding. And he died when the crash happened. And the young woman, she looked, I think she was 23 years old. She was in a gym. And she had this box next to her. And she had a spinal cord injury. She had this box next to her and she had a bench on this side. And she was trying to push herself up. She didn't have control of her fingers, but she had control of her arms and she was trying to stand up after three years and you saw her just struggling to get up and she finally made it 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 was such a touching video it almost made you want to cry that she was overcoming this after three years and it wasn't even her fault that she ended up in this kind of condition but her mind was set for action her body just didn't want to cooperate fully especially her legs and her fingers And that's what happens to the church. When people who are the fingers or the feet or a knee, they decide, I'm just going to do my own thing and not fall in line with what Scripture says, we become handicapped as a church. I believe God puts certain people in a church so it is fully functional. And when people decide they don't want to do something, and it's always for a selfish reason, and not because God says to, because if God said to, then there would be a replacement. God would say, okay, that area needs to be replaced. We're going to take care of it. 
But God, the way God fits that together, and it can be a trial for the church, and some trials are meant to be, and I get that. I don't want to go into the minutia of this. That God puts enough people together in one church to make it function properly, and everybody needs to do their part. So in this particular church my brother was in, he would just give to whoever he wanted to, and that's what they were instructed to do. And there were other doctrinal problems there. He's on track now. It's wonderful. I'm, I'm so happy for him. Everything is working out. Him and his wife, they're serving in such a great capacity. He's even preached a couple of times over there. And Lord bless him, you know, for doing that. But people get off, and solid doctrine is just critical, and especially in this area. Th- other things can be waded through and dealt with, but there are certain fundamentals in the church that have to operate, and one of them is we have to be unified. The direction we're going, why we're going there, and what we're doing as we get there, what mechanisms have to be employed to do so. And so this idea of just giving to who you want to instead of giving to the church directly, well, it kind of goes against what God has in mind for the church. Now, this idea that we're supposed to give to individuals, it still stands. Or this idea that we would buy something separately for the church, it still stands that we're supposed to do that if God calls us to do that. But especially if you look back at the law, it doesn't detract from the regular tithe that they were to give in the Old Testament. Same thing in the New Testament. It doesn't detract from the regular giving. Most people have a misconception of how this is supposed to work, and I just want to make sure it's clear in everybody's mind. Now, final instructions with this. In Second Corinthians chapter 8, It reads in verse 7, See that you excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with earnestness of others. And so see, how sincere we are in our love is determined by how much we give. Remember I told you last week that if there's a problem with giving, if we are stingy, there's a spiritual problem on the inside. And it's depicted in this verse here, going on in verse 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. And so through all of Exodus chapter 35 in this area of giving, it's all based upon your willingness to give. Now, it's inevitable that we will compare ourselves to other churches, like what other churches have and what other churches don't have. This is why God said in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet, right? Because you look at the stuff your neighbor has and you go, I want that. I want that. You see things that other people have, you know, toys, 
so to speak, that are out there. I would really like that. I'm at the point in my life, I don't want any more toys. It just means work. And I don't want more work. But there are a lot of people that they covet things. Well, we can do that as churches too. Well, this church has that. And the churches start to mimic each other. Well, even at pastor's conferences, I'm going to give you a little story here. My pastor, they used to have this thing called, and they may still have it, they're called the huddle. And the huddle was with Horizon Christian Fellowship. And we went uh, one year, Patty and I, we went down to uh, Borrego Springs. There's a, uh, a hotel down there. And you, everybody in ministry just gets together. It's almost like a pastor's conference, but it's everybody involved in ministry, whether it's a, minist- uh, a missionary or somebody coming out that is involved in the youth or uh, adults, singles, something like that. They all went down to what was known as this huddle. And anybody that was ever associated with Mike and Horizon would go. And so we went down there, and, and uh, not at this particular one, but at another one, my pastor was relating to me a story, how the, the guys would stand up and they'd talk about their churches, and they would say, yeah, boy, it's just such a blessing. We just installed a coffee shop. And we have our bookstore now, and it is just operating. You can't believe how God has blessed it. And then the next one would stand up and say, yeah, we just completed our sanctuary. It's 100 feet by 200 feet, and God is just blessing this thing and the money has just been flowing in and it's just wonderful and and then the third fourth and fifth person would stand up and well we just received a fleet of buses to be able to go through the neighborhoods and pick up the kids and uh, now i kind of i i harvested this out of my pastor he wouldn't really give me the information <laughs> and so they called on dave and what, what did uh, Dave say? And Dave said, well, you know, we opened up a home and we we're able to put some recovering drug addicts in it. And, uh, you know, they're, they're doing pretty well. We have some guys that you know, one of them teaches the most excellent way. And, you know, we've, we've ministered to some homeless that are out there. And you see the difference that's there? It's like, look what we've done. Look how God is blessed, but look what we've done. And it's, it's not about us. God has a plan to bless us, and he wants to bless us. He's just looking for how to do it. But our point is never to be improvements or getting bigger. That's a sideline to what God really wants, right? It's our relationship with him in our relationship with others. And if he wants to bless us on top of that with improvements or whatever, well, wonderful. But that should never be the focus. The focus is always how we deal with other people. So we look at other people. We look at other churches. We even look at other countries. You know, have you ever asked the question, which country is the most giving country in the world? And what would be your answer? You're, not, you're afraid to answer, right? <laughs> United States, right? United States, we're the richest country per capita in the world. We give more than everybody else. <clears throat> and you know, the, the, the enemy would like to come along and just muddy the waters on that. Well, that's not true. The, you know, you're not the biggest givers. Because I, I need to stress this too. As I give you this message on giving, it's important. But I want to let you know, it's because of you and the people that have preceded you that there's even a church here. 
I mean, it's, it's great. It's a blessing. <clears throat> Why would I turn to the church and say, you need to give more. It's between you and God. Just leave it there and look what he's done. You know, in this small little town of Lakeside that is, by the way, the top 10 Worst places to live in California. Did you see that? It was number 10 at the bottom. This is the worst place. Number 10. And no, it wasn't number one, but it's number 10. It's the worst place to live. Praise the Lord and the worst place to live. Look what the Lord has done in the middle of Lakeside. You know, it, it's just, I love that, that the Lord just says, okay, we're going to have all these churches. And people, if you've noticed, if you've talked to anybody in Lakeside, why are there so many churches in Lakeside? Praise the Lord, because it's one of the 10 worst places to live in California. That's why you need the churches. And so, you know, that's just great. But you, can, you even compare the churches in Lakeside. Well, what do they have? What do they don't have? What do we need? And what do we want to do? And, and we all do that. And it's good to have the improvements. But which country is the most giving country? Well, the BBC decided they were going to publish the CAF World Giving Index in 2016. And they wanted to look at the world and they, they didn't take any um, raw data and evaluate the raw data. They just gave some static figures. Like, for instance, they said in Iraq, the Iraqis gave, 8 out of 10 of them gave to somebody, right? Which is, that's pretty high. Uh, in the United States, those people who are generous, usually it's about 75%. So 8 out of 10 is more than 75%. That's three quarters, right? And then in this country... Myanmar, I think it used to be called Burma, Burma, but in Myanmar, they said that the people there give on average, 71% of the people give. And in the United States, it is, what is it, 60, 63% of America's give. So in Myanmar, it's over 70%. And in, on one particular time when they went through, they said it was up to 91% of those in Myanmar had given money to charity. Now, that is extremely misleading because Myanmar is a Buddhist country. Now, if you know anything about Buddhism, what they do is you have these enclaves. Like in Cambodia, when we've been to Cambodia, you see these temples that are everywhere and they're painted in gold and they're red and they're yellow and they have statues and everything else and these monks live in poverty they have just a robe and they have sandals and that's it and they may carry an iphone and yeah i have a friend a long friend and he is a but that eric had a picture with right you is he still your friend yeah, and, and so, and he had a bottle of water. He had an iPhone and a bottle of water. And, and so, that, were, that was his possessions. And in one of the temples we went to, the guy had a laptop. And he was sitting there with a laptop. But what they do, and we witnessed this in Cambodia, is they will go out two by two during the day, and they will stop by each shop. Now, every house almost is a shop. So, they stop at each shop and they show up and they do this thing and they're expecting to get food or cold hard cash. That's what they want. If they do, they will pray for you to be blessed. If you don't, they will not pray for you. And so there is this compulsion to give. So if you're going to everybody's house and you're our business and you're saying, Whatever they say, there's probably a phrase that they say when they come up. They're welcome. I used to know what that was. 
Somkun or something like that. But, or that's welcome. I don't want to go too far down there. But they, they request money from the people. And so if 91% of the people give, you know why they're giving. It's not really of willingness. They just don't want to be cursed. And so they give because they don't want the curse coming their way. That's why they, they have their little houses that have the spirits of the house in it because they give an offering to the house. They put out tea, they put out coffee, they put out a little meal and you'll, you'll see this little plate because they don't want to be cursed. They want to be blessed. And so they are under this weight. We're in the United States. We just give because we give because we're supposed to love. I mean, even our military, you know, our government, they give just billions of dollars away. We are the most giving country and yet the world would like to say, no, it's not that way. This is the whole cold hard facts of how people give. And so, you know, the people in the United States, you, you who are in here, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. It's never to put a downer on it like, we need to be doing this and this is your burden to carry and pick up your cross daily and I don't care how you feel. It's just your responsibility. That is a bunch of hogwash. God wants to bless us and he blesses us by the way that we give. And if we give, he comes back and he blesses us even more. So let's go on with this. We had the Sabbath, the sacrifice, the service. Verse 10 of Exodus chapter 35. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle with its tents and its coverings, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts and bases, the ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it, the table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence, the lampstand that is for light with its accessories, lamp and oil for the light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the curtain for the doorway at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stands, the curtain and the courtyard with its posts and bases and the curtain for the entrance of the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the courtyard and their ropes, the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. So there is a list here. And you could actually itemize this list. You could go through one through a dozen or one through 20 or one through 25 and just list them out. And it is clearly spelled out that Moses is calling out to the skilled who were able to volunteer for the service. And again, it's all based on willingness. Back in verse 5, it had willingness. And as we get through, I think it's 25 or 24 through 29, in that area, it's like five times the word willingness comes up. It's in the next section here. And so those who are willing were supposed to come forward. That would be like if I said, okay, we're going to have an all church work day. We are. And we said, all who are willing, show up and serve. All who are skilled at washing windows, wax on, wax off. If you're willing to do that, if you're willing to sweep and take cobwebs down and touch up a little here and there, this is the idea of service. So God is calling through Moses all the Israelites who were willing that even have skills that can do this to come forward and serve. And so the people responded in a huge way, as we will see. But that's what he's talking about there. And he lists the items that are going to be done. And the people with the particular skills are given 
to those items, right? Like if we had an all-church work day and uh, the list said, cut the grass. I can go cut the grass. I can do that. God has skilled me to cut the grass, right? And you have those particular desires, things you like to do as opposed to things you don't like to do. Then there are those jobs you have to do that you don't like to do, right? But God has equipped the body, put it together, and given us each individual that likes to do a particular job or doesn't mind it. And that's, again, how the body is supposed to work. Then we have the servants. Then the whole Israelite community, verse 20, withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was, here it is, willing. And those whose hearts heart moved him came and brought an offering to the Lord. Now, with this, for your heart to be moved, you have to be in touch with God. If you're not listening to God, your heart's not going to be moved. It's like speaking to a box. Nothing in the box. You're just speaking to the box. There's nothing inside that's listening. There's no reception. And that's what it must be. You must be listening to God and he will move your heart. It's the spirit who moves us. For the work on the tent of meeting, all of its service, or for all of its service, and for the sacred garments, all who are willing, verse 22, men and women alike. See, God is not a respecter of persons when it comes to this. Came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. And this is actually where they take it and wave it before the Lord and they would place it down. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ram skin dyed red, or hides of sea cows brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it and brought an offering to the Lord and everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman See, they're skilled women too. Spun with her hands and brought what she had spun. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn or fine linen. And all of the women who were willing and had the skills spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelites, men and women, who were willing, brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord, through Moses, had commanded them to do. So a couple of things here. Willingness, the participation, not only in giving, but in doing, and the biblical roles. Did you notice? He didn't call on the men who had spun. He called on the women who had spun. Now, I think God wants us to take the scripture and mine it. Not just simply shove it to one side. Okay, that's good. It deals with willingness and it deals with men and women both being willing. That's true. But there is a distinction, a subtle one, but there is a distinction between the men and women. And I'm not going to make a treatise at this particular point on the different roles of men and women. That's not what Exodus 35 is about. But there is a distinction in particular jobs being done here. Now, men and women are both skilled. They're both equal in the eyes of God. But we are not the same. We are equal, but we are not the same. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are just as valuable men as women are valuable to God. God wants to save both 
We are both under a curse. We are co-heirs of Christ. We walk side by side. Men are not better than women. Women are not subservient to men. We are co-equal. Okay? But when I say we are the same and equal in that respect, we are not equal in our abilities or capabilities. And there is a move by the world to erase that distinction, right? Now, uh, Patty, I have a question. Our daughter, which sorority did she belong to? Alpha Chi Omega? (laughs) I just heard this on the news. Alpha Chi Omega, which is part of the Greek system in the state of California, maybe beyond. They just decided that that is a sorority as opposed to a fraternity. They just decided to accept men who think they're women. I heard this two or three times on the news yesterday, and I go, no, that can't be my daughter's sorority. It can't be. And she was president of her chapter at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And so there is this move to erase the distinction between men and women, that they're the same. They are not the same in any way, shape, or form. Now, we can act the same, but it's acting, right? Now, I know how hugely unpopular this is in the world. And if I might even get yelled at in here, but this idea of being out in the world, if I said something like that, I would probably be stoned. You know, and I hope somebody hears this on the internet and politely gets a clue. The Lord created us different. Uh, Overall, men are skilled in things that require brute strength and sometimes not too much intelligence, right? But intelligence as well. Both men and women can be engineers. Both men and women can be doctors. Both men and women, they can do several different architects. They can do several different occupations. But when it comes to certain tasks, which would you rather have fighting a war? A man that is six foot four, weighs 275 pounds and is made of nothing but muscle and determination or a woman who is five foot six and weighs all of 110 pounds. Which would you rather have in hand-to-hand combat? It's not even a question Our society wants to put women in combat. It's not the best thing to do. I mean, on on top of that, she's probably going to be raped before she's killed. I forget the woman who was rescued by several men uh, in the Iraq war. Remember, she was was taken captive and they took her out on a stretcher. I forget her name. What's her name? Yeah, you remember that? I mean, the fact that they would be close to the front lines like that, I want to protect the women. But the world would say, the women can protect themselves. And we just had International Women's Day. It's like, what in the world are they doing out there? You know, yeah, what if we had an International Men's Day and the men all boycotted too? You know, it's just so, it's so stupid. It's so ridiculous in my mind, the way that the world goes. It has this foolishness out there. And we need to be unified in this, not segregating ourselves, but coming together in unity. So I just, I just wanted to point out the fact that we are skilled in different things. And women, they love the weaving. It used to be toll painting. How many men did you see that loved toll painting? You know, maybe there were some. I don't know. Patty was in the uh, manicurist 
service the other day and two men, burly men, she said there were big men, like six foot big men walking in and one had his toenails painted red and the other had his toenails painted like pink or something and they were coming in for a pedicure. You know, what? whatever they're going to do, it's just like, please, we have defined roles in scripture and things that we can fulfill. Not that there isn't this crossover, not that we're not equal, but in certain things we are unequal. And that... The women are such good nurturers. The men are not. There's no way a man can be a good nurturer. The men's a problem solver. Baby crying bottle. That's it. What's, what? Oh, change. Okay, change. That's, oh, hold. Okay, I'm going to hold the baby. What's that? And the mom comes along and goes, Oh, the poor baby. You see, you get the point? Okay, I'm going to move on. Let's go on with this. Uh, this next one, the skill. Then Moses said to the Israelites, see, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, ability, knowledge, and all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engrave in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. This is what is known as the gift of craftsmanship. This guy had it down. He could work with his hands. He had hand-eye coordination. And he has given him, excuse me, and he has given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work of as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and fine linen and weavers, all of them master craftsmen and designers. And so he has those that, has, that have gifts. Each of us has at least one gift. This guy had the ability to teach and he had the ability of craftsmanship. He had the ability of organization, administration, these types of things. Like, how am I going to teach these people? What kind of stations am I going to set up to teach people how to do this? I mean, he had several different gifts here. But they were not the gifts that Moses had. Moses had other gifts. He had the gift of prophecy. Certainly, he had the gift of prophecy. He was speaking for God. He had the gift of discernment. He had the gift of wisdom. All of these things were Moses' gifts. And so Moses spoke God's will, gave it to the Holiab and Bezalel, and these two guys set the work in motion to get this done. And so when God calls, he equips. Now, Bezalel, do you think that he just acquired this gift overnight, that it was given to him? The answer is no. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to expand this next week. I'm out of time here. All of us have a gift or several gifts. Uh, when I went through first with the gifts, it was called a gift mix. That if, um, for instance, if somebody has the gift of pastor teacher, but does not have the gift of encouragement, probably not a good in- combination, right? Or if somebody has the gift of being pastor teacher and does not have the gift of mercy, probably not a good combination. You have to work on that mercy. Now, the Lord may have given the mercy, but you have to fan it into flame. And we'll explore that, how Paul told Timothy to fan his gift into flame. How do you fan it into flame? I'm going to answer that question next week. But I want you guys to be praying about, if you don't know what your gift is, for God to reveal it to you. And once you find that gift and you start operating in that, you get so excited when you get to use it and you see the completion of it. It's like, 
this is great. God is good and he's on the throne. I want to serve more. That's what happens when you find your gift. If you're working outside of the gift, I don't like this. If you don't have the gift of helps and you're mopping something, okay now what you know and that's kind of how it goes but if you have the gift of helps you go oh there's a spot there i gotta get him in and you are just meticulous you want to do whatever you can and so i want to encourage you in the gifts that god has given to you and use these guys as a springboard as examples of how we're not only supposed to use our gifts but we're supposed to teach others so let's pray father we thank you Uh, for the gifts that you have given to us and the gifts that you gave to these men, all of them that are mentioned here, Moses and Bezalel, Oholiab, Lord, they are examples to us and help us to emulate what they have done, how they have been submissive to you and your spirit and the guiding that you provide. We ask, Lord, that you would build us up in the most holy faith as we realize what our tasks are. And Father, help us not so much to focus on our task as we focus on what you have done for us. And we know that everything else is secondary. So we give you praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, and the church said.